People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. This is Fine Music Radio and Rodney Trudgeon welcoming you to this week's edition of People of Note. Let me tell you a little bit about my guest. As founding partner and group chief creative officer of one of the top award-winning integrated brand and communication groups, Joe Public United, Pepe Marer lives for creativity that deeply connects with people. His passion is to co-create an environment and culture that will promote exponential growth of their people, their clients, and ultimately our country. Now, he has just written a book, Pepe, called Growing Greatness, 20 Habits That Break Habits. And I'm going to quote what Pepe says here. There are two kinds of habits, those that limit us and those that liberate us. And in order to eradicate a limiting habit, you simply have to replace it with a liberating one. And this is the driving idea behind this book, 20 Habits That Break Habits. A very warm welcome. Welcome to our program, Pepe. It's good to have you. Thank you, Rodney. Thank you very much. It's quite um, an intriguing title, 20 Habits That Mm. Break Habits, which is an unusual kind of approach from what you normally read in self-help books. Mm. Do you agree? So tell me a little bit about, well, how you came up with that subject. So so 14 years ago, I discovered my life purpose. And, and it's, it's a phenomenal, it was a phenomenal journey. And I discovered it because we went bankrupt as a business and um, my marriage was starting to be a bit shaky and my health, I was weighing 20 kilograms more than what I'm sitting here now and I was drinking a lot. And over the last 14 years, I think I can safely attribute my level of success, um, which is at a certain level. I don't think it's where it's going to get to. And also depends on what you mean success is, but I attribute it to habits. Mm-hmm. And I realized that pre my life changing intervention, I had a lot of habits that were amazing habits. They were fun and good things, mm-hmm. but they were possibly limiting me. And I started replacing them with, with what I call liberating habits. And I think those liberating habits changed my life. Because you say somewhere that you hit a wall after hitting a brick wall in both his business and personal life in 2006, Mm. Pepe discovered his purpose. Mm. And was it like a flashing light experience or did it take you a while to work out what had happened? You know, it's like anything. I've seen South Africa, especially with our underprivileged people, when they sort of move up in the economy, into the economy, people want to get rich quick. Everyone wants an overnight fix. Mm. You know, there's a beautiful saying. It says... It takes 17 years to become an overnight success. Oh, really? (laughs) So, you know, people look at you when you suddenly start achieving a level of success and they go like, oh, I want to be like, well, it's going to take you 17 years of 17-hour days, seven Mm -hmm. days a week often. And people don't have the stamina for that. But I think discovering my purpose was as hard work. It didn't take 17 years, but it took 10 days of my life of very deep, deep, deep introspection. Probably the toughest thing I've ever done in my life. So it's not like a flash in the pan. It was a deep, uh, monumental experience. Now, this company, Joe Public United, let's mm-hmm. just talk about that for a moment before we get back to the book. Had you already formed that company before this moment when you hit into the wall? Yeah. So so one of the first chapters is about stepping in to our ideas, 
the book is also just an idea. Mm-hmm. It came to me as an idea. The business idea came as an idea. And when I discovered art at the Ruth Proud School of Art in Woodstock, it was the first thing that I did in my life that I was good at. So, so coming out of the schooling system, which made me felt not good enough and almost um, kind of to a level destroyed my confidence, my self-confidence, to discover something I was so excellent at gave me a complete, this idea at the age of probably 20 that I can have my own business by 30. So at 29, I opened the doors to my own business with a business partner, which was a beautiful story in itself, how we met. I think um, you should tell us, because now you've intrigued me, you're not going to get away with that. <laughs> I put it in my first book, but I'm not going to make you buy my first book. But, um, I wrote the first book, to, and I put that story in it. It's, it's such a beautiful story. The first day that I was introduced to him, because I'm a creative being, and, and I, I realized intuitively I need a business partner that runs more the financial side of the business, and I'll run the product. So I'm like a factory manager making communication. Um, and this guy was introduced to me. I've never met him in my life at Bar Delhi in Kloof Street. Um, and in our first engagement, he started telling me the story of he's a surfer. He's a very good Cape Townian surfer. And he started telling me the story of a paddle skier, which surfers hate. Paddle skiers are like, it's like <laughs> the worst thing you can do in the water in the yeah. surfer's eyes. And he told me about this paddle skier which, who surfed into the harbour wall at Thermopylae at the Radisson Hotel in big massive surf and drowned. And how he saved that person's life. And then I realized, well, that person was me. Because, yeah, because when I drowned, I, th- I remember I went all the way to, okay, I'm going now wherever the next life is. And I never knew there was human intervention. So when I came to, I was on a roll of pipes and the NSRI picked me out of the water and took me to hospital. I never knew there was a human that went under the water to get me out. And that human is now my business partner for 22 years. My goodness. So even then, when the accident happened, um, you'd never met him, this child? Never knew. I, I thought it was just the act of God I was saved. Yeah, that's somehow. <laughs> but there was, a, there was a human intervention. But what an extraordinary coincidence yeah, that you then huge. meet him sitting in a bar Many years later. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And based on that, when we realized that we said start a business together, and, and that's how Joe Public was born, and we, we launched it in Cape Town in 1998. Huge ups and downs, massive effort, and we are now third year running the number one in our industry in this country. So, mm-hmm. so hugely successful company. Right. Now, I think we need to listen to some music to recover from that story. Um, <laughs> what's your first piece, Pepe, that you've chosen so my first piece, it's, it's interesting um, when I wrote them down, trying to think if this, this is probably currently my favorite band called the Foo Fighters, which is sort of offspin, the drummer, the drummer of Nirvana, brought out the first CD and played all the instruments and just a, a magnificent human being from the outside, I don't know him personally. And the first song is Hero.
that's a group we don't hear too often on Fine Music Radio, Foo Fighters, and a piece called Hero. And the first choice of my guest on People of Note this week, Pepe Morer, who, as I said, is the creative chief creative officer of Dope Public Limited and has just written his second book, Growing Greatness, 20 Habits That Break Habits. Uh, a fascinating book, by the way, and I'm going to tell you about some of the chapters as we get there. But you hinted at something about your school life and all that, Sue. Pepe, I'm intrigued to know a little bit about your background. Mm. Were you, did you come from a family of entrepreneurs or what inspired you to do what you're doing? Interesting. So habits are actually, we learn them very, very young. So I was born into the home of a middle class family where my father had three brothers but out of the four brothers he was the black sheep and behind closed doors he was a raving alcoholic it was quite interesting how no one ever said anything it was mm. like a very sort of kept quiet I was born in Stellenbosch and he, he was a violent alcoholic so I experienced a lot of um, never physical but the, the, the self-inflicted harm and he tried to shoot my mum when we were three years old, he put a gun to it. Like he did like crazy stuff. There's things, and I saw all these things. And I've got a son now, and I can see how sensitive we are, are as people. So I grew up in that situation, and because of that situation, we had very little means. My mother's extremely hard worker, teacher. So on that teacher salary, in the end, she raised three children, which meant we didn't have much. So I started working at the age of twelve. Um, I started delivering newspapers six days a week, and then Saturdays and Sundays I worked at a cafe. And and so I started, I could subsidize her salary, which she always paid back somehow. <laughs> but in the middle of the month, I'll bring in my 100 bucks and put it in the pot. But I think my entrepreneurial journey started then. So so when I look back, I look at that as the greatest gift. Because mm. without that context, I would never have started earning my own money so young. Mm-hmm. And then seeing what it takes to create money, which is not about money at all. But going into the advertising industry, I would have thought, is a huge challenge um, because it must be very, very competitive. So you took on something really quite, um, well, challenging. I didn't have a clue. We didn't, oh, really? we didn't have a business plan. I'm, I'm, I'm working towards a PhD at the moment, so I'm in the middle of my MBA. And it's so funny, they teach you about all this stuff that I go like, this is not stuff that really works in practice. Because you don't do a business plan when you have an idea for a business. You just follow your heart and you open the doors. Mm-hmm. So so it was not premeditated like that. It was just based on an idea, now we make it happen. And never knew the industry is as tough as it is. It's an extremely tough industry. Well, that's what I thought. Yeah. Very, very ruthless. But I've also learned through my experience now of what, 30 years in my industry and 22 years of my own business with my partners, that you just focus on excellence. Mm. And I think that's what's absent in the world is excellence. Now, there's something um, when you said just now about your PhD, and I was in, <laughs> there's a lovely little story right at the beginning of your book about how you cheated a little bit. Mm. And then tell us that story about how you ended up doing a real <laughs> PhD because I, I was very enchanted. I forgot. I did put that in my book. So I do a lot of keynotes now and I do a lot of, I do mentor a lot of, um, we're still a medium-sized business. Mm-hmm. We're under 300, 260, 70 people odd. Fluctuates a bit. So that's medium. You know, it's not a large business by any means. It does pretty decent revenues. 
But I work with a lot of micro-entrepreneurs, so five-man shows, three-man shows, and I mentor people, etc. So I was invited by a client, the South African breweries, to speak to their micro-entrepreneurs. And, and I, I could choose whether I'm Mr., Mrs., or doctor. There was a choice when I signed in on the, at the computer, so I was just being funny. I just went like doctor, and they printed my tag, and it said Dr. Pepe Marais. And they introduced me as Dr. Pepe Marie. And, and in my perception, it seemed like people were listening more intently. Mm. And, well, of course, it's just the way – it's just my perception. Maybe they weren't. I don't know. But it looked like it. And 20 minutes in, I actually told them I was just joking. And I got a sense that they were disappointed, that my words suddenly <laughs> weighed less. <laughs> I don't believe that that's so absolutely like, true. I think it's possible. Yeah. I mean, we, we we do judge on perception. We, we judge do. very much, and so. we just and our judgment is very much skin deep. But it did spark the idea of a doctorate um, to solidify my vision for my lifetime and g- give me credibility in a field that's not marketing and advertising. And then I went on the journey. It's a six-year journey, and it's it's incredibly hard work. What um, are you What are you focusing on? I was going to focus on education. I've been working in education for 14 years now as well, since 2008, 2007, and finding a systemic or systematic fixed solution for education. But I'm kind of shifting towards purpose for government because there's no country in the world that's got a greater purpose. And I am a purpose advocate. I'm deeply entrenched in purpose for business and for purpose for your personal life. And I thought I just had an idea recently. I was working with my coach, and I'm thinking purpose got to start at the top if you want to fix the next year. So that's going to be my endeavor for the next 20 years. My goodness. And the education side, Pepe, you said you've been involved in education for, yeah. for, for a while. I've, I've got a nonprofit that I started. I founded a nonprofit organization, and we partnered with two schools, and we deployed quite a lot of money and means into those schools, Deep Slit and Soweto and Johannesburg, mm-hmm. so f- actively working in the townships. Okay, gosh. All right. 20 habits that break habits. We can mention a few of those habits in a moment, but what's your next piece of music? Pepe my next Maria? piece of music, and and I, I'm trying to keep them mild in my books because <laughs> you know my my wife kind of keeps them mild when I really want to eat the the hard stuff. But this one is Rolling Stones, and it's called Wild Horses. And I actually translated this one and I sang it in Afrikaans to my wife, so that's why I love this song.
Stones on Fine Music Radio, Wild Horses, and this is People of Note on Fine Music Radio. My guest choosing this music is Pepe Marais, 
who has just written his second book called Growing Greatness, 20 Habits That Break Habits. And I'm intrigued, of course, when I was looking at the book and reading through it, you obviously kind of go to chapters that you think might be of particular interest. And one of the things you've done, words like replace sitting out with stepping in Mm. and replace your head with your heart and your gut and replace negative thoughts with positive affirmations, replace fellowship with leadership. All these replacing things, you've obviously thought it out sort of very methodically, Mm. but you also deal with cigarette addiction and alcohol addiction. It's not just a book about cigarettes and alcohol. No. In fact, there are many, many more important things, if anything. I think think the cigarette and alcohol is almost a byproduct of a deeper-seated situation inside. Because I always wondered when I drank as much as I used to drink and when I smoked as much as I used to smoke, I was wondering why would I put something in my mouth that says this will kill you. It almost felt like an unconscious suicide. And when I started delving deeper within myself to look at where does my limitations come from, they're all childhood related. So all those things, although I interviewed 20 smokers and I timed their smoking speed and their reading speed and I wrote each chapter bespoke for each of them to the length that it will take to smoke a cigarette. That was actually my oh, little project. Because really? I know you've got a little, uh, you've got yes. a little drawing so, so there's of a, a little, cigarette butt. There's a little cigarette butt. That's actually a photograph that I shot as they've put out their cigarette butt. We photographed a cigarette butt. So that smoker, that's that smoker cigarette butt that took 7 minutes, 20 seconds. And then I would let them read one minute of, of, of type, measure it. And then that sum of smoking speed min- times multiplied by reading speed gave me 1,364 letters, I mean words. And then I'll write, <laughs> I'll carve it towards that length to serve each of those people. And then I interview them with what were their limitations. And mm. I realized all those limitations, those 20 limitations, which not one included smoking. <laughs> so not one smoker went smoking. They went something deeper. Mm. And I realized each of those were things I've struggled with. So then I would respond with how I handled my struggle mm-hmm. in the hope that one of them might pick up on it and go, I'm going to solve this. Gosh. So you, in the process, gave up smoking yourself and gave up drinking yourself. In the process of my transformation journey since 2007, yes, I gave up both of those. Smoking mm-hmm. first. I had to choose which is the lesser evil. Uh. <laughs> I woke up one morning here in Cape Town. I was living underneath in Zonnebrum, and I was playing music at the, I can't remember what it was called, a, a, a club. You had a little band, didn't I'd you? Many bands, yeah. Uh, I played uh, music for 16 years. It was uh. amazing. That's why I'm saying I don't judge habits as good and bad, because mm. the habits I was living in, I had a magnificent life. People look at it and go, what a magnificent life. But my life now is just far, far more um, fulfilling. It's just on another level. What I find interesting in the alcohol chapter mm. was how you timed as well how much time you were wasting because of hangovers and things like that yeah. and being out at pubs and that you just stopped. Astounding. It's astounding. I, I stopped because I found my life purpose, mm-hmm. which instantly – I stopped uh, – both those habits I stopped without replacing them. But then as I started going into party situations, which we have parties. I still go to parties. Yeah. I started introducing this habit of drinking water. Just to, to sort of substitute for that habit of, okay, I'm holding something and it feels social. Mm. Um, and I also stopped telling people I don't drink. So people often think I'm drinking gin and tonic. <laughs> and then they go like, how can this guy still be standing after four, 44 glasses of gin and tonic? <laughs> <laughs> and then go running at six in the morning. Yeah. So Because what I find interesting is 
you're not giving advice like an Alcoholics Anonymous mm. organization would. You're saying stop and replace it with something. Yeah. And that's the fundamental key. Yeah. Uh, and that I give credit to an author that I met in Toronto, in Canada, who wrote Rich Habits. And he studied why wealthy people are wealthy. And it was linked to habits, albeit different kinds of habits. Mm. And at that stage, that was 2014, so I was already seven years on my journey. And he made me aware that I realized that's what I was doing unconsciously. Um, because to really deal with a habit, a limiting habit, you have to replace it. You can't just stop. I mean, uh, you can, but it makes it easier if you replace it with something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so start going to gym. That could be a very liberating habit, you know. So, But the... Uh, you've written somewhere in here as well that now you still go to your parties, as you said, and the bottle in your hand is a bottle of water, mm. whether they think it's gin or vodka or whatever yeah. it is. And you're quite happy with that, and it's given you all your time back by the sounds of things. Fascinating how the energy of a party. M- my wife and myself will leave a party and, and go, we actually feel drunk because you feel elated through that energy. Mm. So I've realized that, that the drinking is a it's, – it's, it's a bit of a facade. We know we, it's a crutch. I, I struggled um, – suffered for 20 years from social phobia, complete and utter social ph- – and that's Good actually great. what I realized why my father was an alcoholic because he was suffering from the same condition. And I realized I was also using alcohol to medicate it to make me feel socially more adept and mm, acceptable, acceptable yeah. or deal with my anxiety when I go into social situations, knock back a few – and I realize that's a huge problem. And it's mm. probably going to be a bigger victory for me if I can overcome it without the use of alcohol. So there were multiple streams. But those are just two of the habits. Another one that's a bit controversial is probably the eating one because people don't want to hear that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the rest are more the deeper psychological habits this, that we Absolutely, the psychological mm-hmm. avenues, as you say. Yeah. Well, I'm going to explore some of those with you in a moment. But let's have another one of your pieces of music at the moment. And my guest, Pepe Maure, choose our next piece. It's just getting more and more heavy. So <laughs> oh, dear. This used to be my favorite band. You can see I was a bit of a rocker. Um, it's the Chili Peppers, and it's a song called Under the Bridge. He also wrote a beautiful autobiography called Scar Tissue. Anthony Kiddis, the lead singer. Profound. So, yeah, this is a song about him living under the bridge in L.A. Who I am 
group is called Chili Peppers, Under the Bridge, and another choice, the third choice of my guest on People of Note this week here on Fine Music Radio, Pepe Maré. We're talking about an intriguing book that he's written, his second book, called Growing Greatness, 20 Habits That Break Habits. And your first book apparently was called, we talk about your first book, but we've never mentioned it, um, Growing Greatness, A Journey Towards Personal and Business Mastery. Mm. Just briefly, how did that come about as your first book? This was obviously also after your hitting a brick wall experience. Yeah. I never wanted to be an author. I'm Afrikaans, so English is my second language. My wife's English, so it helped my English, my development of my second language. Okay. 
because at some stage you move beyond speaking the language of love so you start going into normal language but but <laughs> but so so I was approached by a publisher who said I should write a book for entrepreneurs and at that stage I brought purpose into our business um, as a methodology because I believe a business like a human is a human being and Jane Goodall said just like monkeys are monkey beings or just like humans are human beings monkeys are monkey beings and I also deducted from that little bit of insight of her wisdom that cows are cow beings and sheep are sheep beings and I stop eating meat but I then sort of moved to the next step that a business is a business being and it's got a purpose beyond making money people think you go into business to make profit it's the biggest lie that was advocated in the 70s by I think Milton Friedman who spoke about shareholder value and the business exists to make money for the shareholder it is utter utter rubbish and it's the demise of the current capitalistic system so my deepest belief is that the more business can have purpose the more we'll serve this economy mm. so I wrote that book to, to bring that thought of purpose for business and purpose for your personal life into the hands of more people and how um, did it do? It did. I was so insecure because I'm putting my heart out there and mm. I chose to share my life story in depth and the story of the growth of our business and then share all my lessons of 30 years in business. But I was super insecure because I put myself out there and then I'm putting myself out for judgment. So I decided if I can change one person's life. And in the end, the book changed my own life because it was so cathartic to mm, to, write. to go back so far and pull out all the dirty laundry and the things, <laughs> which I completely shared. And I think that's why people connected. It, it was a bestseller, and um, in, in, in in small terms, it's it, it's it's sold. It's going, it's in second edition now, moving towards. I think it's over four thousand, which for first book is pretty good, but. Well, I don't want to say it makes me proud. It's more like makes me very grateful is the amount of responses I get. Mm. I, I got thousands of messages, emails and LinkedIn messages and just people really responding to it. It touched the nerve. Mm -hmm. So therefore, it must have been relatively easy to go into this one where you're still wanting to communicate with people. And as you said, change the life of one person. Yeah. You'll have succeeded. I, I would have thought, but the first one was almost telling a life story. Mm. Where's this? And then the third part of it, there was thinking, new thinking that I brought into that book. This one, I really had to figure out how to do it because I started with an idea and then I had to fill the pages. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I had all the 20 people's habits and then I had to find my own and sort of relevant because I wanted to keep the storytelling to make it real. So I link it to real life experiences, some funny, some pretty profound, um, like the one with Jasper, which is just Oh, I want you to tell that story. Oh, I was I was about to ask you that story, and um, it comes up quite early in the book. Mm. Um, but it is certainly an example of you having. Well, what chapter does that in replace negative thoughts? Replace? No, I think that might be with follow your heart and your gut. Yeah, there yes, there because we 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 tend to allow our head to overrule our gut, mm. but we we marry or we find our life partners based on an instinct, not a a rational. Research Millwood Brown study. Okay, but so in business we tend to just use our heads. Well, it was a goose flesh story, mm. so I would like you to share it with our listeners. So, when was it? Two oh eight, because Jasper would have been. He was born in July. Our, our first boy was born when we were forty, so quite late started having a little family. 
and true blessing. And we went to Freedom Park for an event, um, obviously just a consciousness event. And Archbishop Desmond Tutu was one of the keynotes. And and I also write on judgment because I was I was already going into a journey of consciousness, so I became aware of how I judged him because he was when he started speaking he was like today eh, I am going <laughs> to speak eh. and I judged you know like with nose because we're so lazy I went like oh this is going to take an hour he made the most prolific profound incredible amazing one hour speech i've heard in my entire life i was hanging on every word on his lips i was going this man can speak another three hours i was i was mesmerized he was such an incredible being now just an idea i went i said to my wife because we're not church going although i'm a christian uh, a non-church going christian closet so, <laughs> so, <laughs> so i was like no, I just think I'm very linked to Jesus as a as a as a, a behavioral of what we should strive to be. Right, and Nelson yeah. Mandela are my two sort of people I look up to. But so I just said to Heidi, I'm going to get him to give Jasper his name, and she went, "You mad?" But I follow because I've always followed my instinct because that idea wouldn't come up if it's possible. Yeah. And we immediately limit ourselves by thinking, okay, it's not possible. Mm. It's about anything we think of. If that thing, if that idea gets planted, it shows universally that it, it will happen if you follow it. And I just ran to the back. He was already in my arms. And I, I, the arch had about six massive bodyguards in a little circle around him. And I just sort of timed to catch them at the gate. And I stopped. I grabbed the one guy by his arm. He was like, what do you want? And I said, I want the arch to give my son his name. Bless him. And he went like, no. And they walked and I stopped him a second time. And then I caught the uh, the archbishop and he kind of looked through these two massive mountain of men. He was like <laughs> staring at me and he went, what, what's going on? And I was, archbishop, will you please bless my son and give him his name? And he said, of course. He did, it was like, it's the most natural thing in the world. Why would mm. I question that? Mm. And they brought me into this little circle and he blessed my son. And, and it must have been Isitosa, I would assume. It was vernacular, but he asked me what his name was and he blessed him. And it was amazing. There was no picture, no nothing. I think there was a, a camera that captured it, a movie camera. I think hiding myself at one stage try to see if we can get the footage, but it, it's irrelevant. It was mm. just a moment in time that was so special. Mm. So, yeah, that was follow your gut. Exactly, and that is a brilliant example, illustration, isn't it, of mm. follow your gut, which is a theme right through this book, yeah. isn't it, really? Yeah. <sighs> right. Now I think we need some more music. What have you got this time? I see you've got Lady Gaga. So La Lady Gaga. Jeez, I never even... I, uh, of course, know of Lady Gaga. I never listened to her music ever until I watched, I think, the third or fourth rendition of A Star is Born um, with her and Bradley Cooper. And her voice was so magnificent. And this was one of the songs she performed in the, in the movie. And it's called Always Remember Us This Way. It's beautiful. Better us on the sky Burning in your eyes you look at me, babe, I want to catch on fire It's buried in my soul Like California gold You found the light in me that I couldn't find 
Lady Gaga, also not a regular guest on Fine Music Radio, singing Always Remember Us This Way, and uh, the fourth choice of my guest, Pepe Marais, and we're talking about his book, Growing Greatness, 20 Habits That Break Habits. You've been very sort of philanthropic talking about how even if one person broke a habit as a result of reading your book, um, it, it's great, and all the chapters, 20 chapters, deal with aspects which we can relate with the psychological or physical like smoking or drinking but has it done anything for you what what have you got back from this book and how is it doing by the way so similarly to the first one so for the first one i wanted to just touch one person and it and that one person ended up being me because it was such introspection um this one obviously i wanted to touch 20 people so i wrote it for the 20 smokers yeah but in the end I'm, I'm very aware that I've got such a long way to grow still as a, as a human being myself. I'm, I'm so far from being the best that I can be. And it's daily work. You know, every day I work to be better than my best and then better every single day. Because I think that's, that's what growth is. We often flatline as humans. You know, we, don't, we think we know everything. Mm. I know nothing and I know it. So I go into writing these books not to preach to other people. It's more about just sharing my experience, and then I always gain. So I picked up, I don't know which chapter is, but there's one of replacing judgment with love. And I realized that I still judge and how lazy judgment is. And how, mm. without getting to know someone, so 
I, I tell the story of seeing a guy with a mohawk and another guy with tattoos very loud on a plane and immediately going, oh, goodness, cage fighters, you know. And like typical, they now screaming and loud and laughing because if I say anything, they probably like this is whole story. Mm-hmm. And then when afterwards I, I, I saw who they really were, I, I realized they were just two guys in love. And they were just excited from a, obviously a lovely weekend in Cape Town. Yeah. And it was the truth was so far from the assumption. Yeah. And I started working because of that insight on judgment and replacing it with love in the last couple of months. And it's amazing what happens when you bring love into the way you view another person, mm-hmm. even I'm when sure, you judge them. It, it just changes the lensing. So that was my own lesson out of my own book. So I probably write self-help books to help myself. <laughs> Okay, there we go. There are fascinating chapter headings. Replace fun with fear was one that intrigued me, rather. Replace average with excellence, Mm. which makes sense. Replace screen time with FaceTime. Mm. All these things, I mean, screen time is such a bad habit of a lot of us, isn't it? Big one. How did you choose the people, the 20 people, the smokers? I I had to be practical because my time is very limited. Let's put, let's put it this way. I use my time very well. I've, I fit 700 hours into my spare time this year studying because I clock it. But I chose out of our little population of Joe Public United. So I just got my PA to send out an email. Whoever was, And we've got a very safe culture. And people came forward and just shared their hearts. Mm-hmm. So 17 out of the 20 are from our own organization. I, I tried to make it a cross-section of age and race and gender. And then three of them are, one's a client, one's my older sister, and the third one's a friend. Mm-hmm. And that's how I conducted the little interviews. And, and you ask them it. also what their most limiting habit yeah. is with replies like, only sleep a few hours each night. Yeah. Um, so they're obviously being very honest with you as well yeah. uh, and very open with you. Uh, not great at saving money. I'm a big spender. Yeah. Nila. Snila. <laughs> yeah. Lovely girl. I think she's about 32 years old. Spark in our business. And and I would never have assumed that. And then, of course, I've always been a saver. Mm-hmm. But I can relate to it because when you come from little, the first thing you buy is a smart car. And that's what I did. Um, so, again, there's an insight there because you want to look better than – you want to look good enough because yeah. you come from yeah. nothing. So, I'm yeah. not good enough, so I want to look great. So, what I do, I go and buy myself an expensive car on a residual with a balloon payment at the end, I can hardly afford to buy furniture, and I go and do this. So, so I, I've lived through that, and I wanted mm. to share that particularly with our greater population. The other one that intrigued me, the chapter uh, where the habit here of the person was swearing, which mm. was sloppy, and you called the chapter Turn Swearing into a Creative Vocabulary. Is that possible? Again, and there's books on why swearing is good. You know, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it gives you like an outing and, and mm. you know, sort of you don't. But but I found, and that was through two friends of mine on the West Coast. They actually said, Amy said, when I was swearing like a trooper, I used to swear I was like a pirate. Every second word was like an F. This is part of my big, you know, mm. um, the, the, the facade I put on because I'm actually an introvert. But when I started eradicating swearing, and I still, I probably swear like one swear word a month, and I use them quite selective. I choose to use my swearing, but I hardly swear. And I found that it, it, it pushes me to use my language better. 
to express myself better. Um, so, so it was just, and, and Neil is a, is a very good writer. It's interesting that he finds sloppy himself. Did you, um, your, your partner, uh, is he absolutely with you on this journey? Yeah, 100%. He's fully behind both you. Both my that partner, my wife, and my business partner, who both are life partners, mm-hmm. are completely aligned. And I must just say that you write it, your style is mm. very kind of down-to-earth, sort of blokey. Like suddenly you say, listen, China. Mm. <laughs> you know, so it's very easy to relate to and yeah. to feel as though you're not being lectured. Yeah, so I purposefully write my own books. So I, they, they're very close to unedited. So I go 50-50% in with my publisher because mm-hmm. I'm very, I'm quite a control freak with, with my own literature. It is still writing. I love writing. Um, so our business deals with writing and I manage writers, although I'm not a trained writer myself. So, so I do love writing. And you'll probably find it's quite basic writing skills because I'm Afrikaans. So, so it's, but it's well written. It is well written. But it's, but it's still very simplistic is almost the word. And I, because when I also rationalize and when I sell work to clients, I, I just use logic. Even mm. So it's a very logical approach to writing. Yeah. And therefore, it's very readable. Yeah. And as I say, you don't feel as though you're reading a self-help book mm. that someone is talking down to you. Yeah. You're a terrible person and you better do this or else. Hundreds. So this is the book we're going to stop now, by the way. 20 Habits That Break Habits, Growing Greatness by Pepe Moret, who's been my guest. And Pepe, what is your last piece of music? So we're going to play out with U2. Um, and there's a band that shows growth mindset. So many years in the industry, still top of the game, and they keep on just reinventing. So they're constantly growing. And it's a song called In a Little While. Pepe Moret, thank you very much. And um, I'm sure many people are going to wonder what your next book is going to be. <laughs> Any ideas yet? It's in the pipeline. It's, I'm going to bring it out in two years' time. I'm working on the content because I'm going through interesting um, change. And it's going to be growing greatness, coming to grips with my white guilt. Ah, okay. Right. So you'll have to come and see us again. In two years' and time. And my, my guest... Uh, Pepe Moret is a founding partner and group chief executive officer of one of the top award-winning integrated brand and communication groups, that's Joe Public United. Thanks for an inspiring chat. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it.
People of Note on Fine Music Radio was proudly brought to you by Peter Turin Productions. FMR.